This morning we continue our series, Dear Church. Dear Church, we've been looking at the first letter to the town and the believers in Corinth, the Corinthians, uh, which was a town very near Athens in modern day Greece. And we said, hey, to prepare ourselves for Easter and for uh, that upcoming week, uh, we want to look at this book, at this letter actually, and see what it has to say to us as a church as well today. So we will be in 1 Corinthians chapters 5 and 6. 5 and 6. Did you all see the moose? That was awesome. So, before we get started, my first Christmas here, I was preaching, and all the people over here at, in the middle of one of the services were, were totally not paying attention. I was about to like stomp or something just to get, hey, come back. And then I noticed this big black rear end over there, brown rear end over there. And then this moose had turned around and like breathed on the window. And I was like, oh, go ahead and gawk. So, <laughs> church in big sky. I don't think they had any moose in Corinth, but they had some problems, and we're going to talk about those today. Chapter 5. P.S. If we have kids in the room, some adult PG-13 things in here, I'm going to try to do my best parents for you with them, okay? All right. Chapter 5, which there were no chapters, so it's just another part of his letter. Okay, it says this. It is actually reported, so he's gotten reports. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that even the pagans don't tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and put out of your fellowship the man who was doing this? I'll stop there. Dear church, Paul would say, it has come to my attention that your pride has left you blind to grievous sin. Dear church, it has come to my attention that your pride has left you blind to grievous Sin. Paul continues to write in his letter and he says, I've heard news and it's not good news. And he's been hinting at this from the very get-go that these Corinthians, yes, they accepted the message and the grace and goodness and the forgiveness of Jesus, but they have this pride that's welling up within them, this arrogance that is welling up within them. And he comes to a point right here within the letter where he says, I want to point out something specific that is happening. And he's saying to them, listen, there is a situation in your fellowship, among your people, among the believers that even the outsiders wouldn't put up with. Right. I I was trying to think of a modern day parallel to this, and it was kind of hard to be honest with you, because this is pretty bad right here. Right. I don't think I need a metaphor here. I mean, in Greco-Roman societies, it was uh, very common for um, the husbands to marry a very young wife, right? 
Um, and so sometimes the sons would be about the same age as the wife of the father. And so what he's saying in here is essentially there is a son who is doing inappropriate things with his mother, with his, with his mother. Like this is crazy, right? He, he says, even the pagans would say, this is no good. So you say, even those in Corinth, even those in Athens, they would look at what's happening in the church and they would say, this isn't right. We don't allow this even within just common society. And yet you have become so puffed up, so good on pride and so arrogant that you are blinded to this. And can I be honest with you? We can still do this. Jesus came full of two things, it says in John. He came full of grace. Anybody know their thing? And truth. Good. I got some Bible readers up in here. He came full of grace and truth. Notice, it's not balanced in grace and truth. That's interesting. Sometimes we like to play these balance games. Oh, you got to have balance of grace and truth and a little more grace here, a little more truth here. No, no, no. Jesus came full of 100% grace, 100% truth. He didn't back off on that. Right? You'll notice in his interactions with uh, the woman at the well. Right? He says, hey, I forgive you. But stop sinning. Right? Full of grace. Full of truth. And what's happened in this congregation, and this, you know, I know this doesn't happen in churches anymore. But um, sometimes churches get so filled with grace that they forget about truth. Right? And, and the flip side of this is true as well, right? Sometimes churches, and I think a lot of churches actually fall into this trap more, um, are full of truth and no grace. But this church in particular, what has happened here is that they have said, we can do whatever we want. I mean, we got a free ticket. Jesus died for our sins, which means, man, more sin, more grace, right? More sin, more grace. Just come on. Let's just live it up because we got a free pass. We got a, we got we got a hall pass to do whatever we want. And they're so arrogant in this that they've they've completely like they're not even following things that are not even written about in the Bible. They're they're, they're like following things that society as a whole wouldn't even say are good things. They're that jacked up, right? And, and like I said, I know this doesn't happen in churches today um, with my tongue firmly planted in my cheek. Um, but churches need to be places that are filled with grace and truth. Like, like if you ever hear me just say, well, well, grace, 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 grace. You just, you can do whatever you want because God's got grace for you. I'm not preaching the gospel. If you've been to a church like this where it's just do whatever you want and that's okay, that is not a Christian church. That's something else. Right? I hate to say that bluntly, but if, if you are part of a body of fellowship that just says you can do whatever you want, doesn't matter. That is not the message of Jesus. It's not why Jesus died on a cross because of how grievous sin was for him, right? Full of grace and full of truth. And this church has fallen by the wayside of saying, we can do whatever we want. We've got grace. We don't need to worry about it. And they're so far off of the road that they're doing things that even uh, people outside the church would not follow. And it all stems from their pride. 
This is where this is all stemming from, which is the origins of sin, right? This is nothing new, right? Satan comes in the form of a serpent to who? Come on, you know the story. Adam and Eve, right? And what does he do? Anybody know? He says, hey, hey, Eve, if you eat from this tree, guess what you can be? Anybody know? Just like God. You don't need him. And he's like, that sounds pretty good. And Adam's standing there going, he doesn't say anything. We don't, he's standing right there like a, like a dude, like, uh, and so not doing anything, right? Um, and, and, and I'm, I don't want to put words where the Bible doesn't have words, but, but, but you've got to know that there was a sense where, where the serpent was appealing to their pride to their arrogance. You don't need God. You can be God. And this church has gotten there, and sometimes we do too. Sometimes we, sometimes we embrace, sometimes we embrace the fact that we want to be God instead of allowing God to be God. And so because of that, Paul knows that there is grievous, grievous Sin in their midst. He goes on, For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. Wait a minute, Paul, that sounds kind of judgy. Yep, Paul would say, yep, it is. <laughs> so when you are assembled... And I am with you in spirit. And the power of our Lord Jesus is present. Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. So that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is no good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters. Okay, I'll unpack this in a second. In that case, you would have to leave the world. So he's saying, like, I, I've told you before, um, don't, or don't, don't associate with anybody who's sexually immoral. Um, but... He's talking about the people who are outside the church. And he's saying, the immoral, the greedy, the swindler, the idolater. And he's saying, if I told you to not associate with them, you'd just have to leave the world. Because they're there. Right? But then he goes on. But now, I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister. But is sexually immoral. Or greedy. An idolater. Or slanderer. A drunkard. Or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. Big language. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you, are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. But expel the wicked person from among you. 
Dear church, it has come to my attention. Your pride has left you blind to grievous sin. For your posture must be one of repentance. For your posture must be one of repentance, is what he is saying here. Say, Paul, man, this sounds super judgmental. You sound hypocritical, Paul. This is why people hate church. Passages like this, Paul. This is why people don't want to go to church. Because you're all judgy, and you're talking about sexually immoral people, and you're talking about adulterers, slanders, drunkards, swindlers, and you're just writing this list. You sound really judgy, Paul. See? And, and, and the outside world would say, you're being hypocritical here, Paul. But, but, but here's the difference. Paul is not being hypocritical. Because Paul is not calling Christians to be hypocrites. Right? Christianity is not about being hypocritical. Christians are not hypocrites. Real Christians are not hypocrites. Fake Christians are hypocrites. Real Christians are not hypocrites. Don't let your friend get off easy when they just call you a hypocrite. Right? Just own your sin. Because we're not hypocrites if we... We're only hypocrites if we act like nothing's wrong. And, but, but there is something wrong. That's, that's hypocritical, right? Being hypocritical is I act like nothing's wrong, but there is something wrong, right? We're not called to be hypocritical. We're called to be honest and repentant. Honest and repentant, right? True Christians are repentant because they know they're broken. They know they're broken. I've said this so many times. I got problems. You got problems. We got problems, right? If we sat around for coffee this week, it'd be no problem for me to find something on this list that I could point to you and go, hey, you do a little idolatering? Be like, yeah, I worship things other than God from time to time. Hey, you ever participated in gossip? Oh, yeah, I got something juicy this past week in Big Sky, right? Hey, you ever drank too much? Well, there was that one time in college, right? Um, You ever lied? Have you ever looked at a woman lustfully? And have you ever participated in uh, the sexual ridiculousness of the world we can currently live in? Right, we, we, could, we could sit together and we could find something. And if you would say to me, no, I don't have, to, I don't have any problems with that, I would say, then you are a hypocrite. <laughs> and it's fair then for outsiders to call you a hypocrite. But we in the church are not hypocrites. We are repentant. That's what we are. You're not, you're not going to be called to this meal because you got your stuff together. You're not going to be called to this meal because you play perfect. And if that's what you think about church, man, you got, you got to read, reread this this week, right? Like you got to, you got to have a conversation with God about this this week because that's not what we're all about here at Big Stack Christian Fellowship. We're not about playing church. We're not about playing perfect. We're, we're here being repentant sinners, repentant people. And this is what Paul is, is, is encouraging them to. Like, part of what sounds harsh is, is this, where Paul says, kick him out. Can you imagine? If I like showed up to your house this week and I was like, hey, man, you're out. <laughs> you're out. Heard about what you're doing. You're out, right? And, you, and we go, man, that's awful. Like in our society, our day and age, 
you, you won't do that, right? Cause, cause, cause honestly, in our day and age, somebody would just be like, well, fine, Pastor Brian, I'll go find another church. And I'll be like, good luck, find another evangelical church in Big Sky. Um, <laughs> um, it's not what he's saying though. You gotta read this right. So Paul says it this way. He says, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. If you're reading along with me, I'm at verse 5. So that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Do you know what Paul is doing? Paul's saying kick him out so he wants to be back so bad. So that he comes to a place of repentance. So that he misses out on all the goodness, all the love, all the grace, everything that abounds in the church, so that he may go, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm wrong. And I need to turn back to God, and I need to repent. See, Paul's not trying to be exclusive here. He's not trying to kick somebody out for the purpose of kicking somebody out. He's trying to kick somebody out for the purpose of bringing them back. Does that make sense? He's trying. He, his heart is for repentance. His heart is that this may, man may be saved. His heart is that this man's heart may be changed and that he might come back, which makes me think that we don't value our church enough. Right? Like that's, apparently that was a big threat in that day. And if your pastor would show up at your house and kick you out of the church, you'd probably be like, whatever, dude. I'm just never going to go to church again. But Paul is sincere in this. He feels a strong sense by, by having this guy removed from their assembly, from their congregation, that this guy hopefully will come to a place of repentance for the grievousness of his sins. He talks about greed. He talks about drunkenness. He talks about gossip. And, and here's the big point. Sin isn't okay, guys. Sin isn't okay. I know this isn't popular to talk about in church. I get it. I'm, I'm fine with that. I got no problems. Take it up with Jesus, right? Okay? God's not good with sin. God hates your sin. He hates it. He doesn't, he's not like, oh, that's okay. It's just John being John. It's just Brian being Brian. He's not okay with that. Do you know how I know he's not okay with that? Because he sent his son to die the most horrific death that humanity has come up with so that those sins might be paid for. God became flesh. This is what we're going to celebrate. God became flesh, put on manhood so that man could be saved. This is how grievous sin is. He hates your sin. If you heard anything other than that, you've heard something other than the gospel. He hates it. Do you know why? Because he loves you. He loves you. And he wants to be with you. He wants to, he wants to craft you into his image. He has such a better plan for you and I than we have for ourselves. We play around with this pettiness that we feel like we got this. That we can figure this out. That that sin that nobody knows about isn't that bad. And I would say, church, Jesus died upon a cross for this. That's how serious this is. And Paul's pointing back to the Passover lamb here. He's saying, listen, it doesn't just ruin one of you when this is going on. It ruins everybody. When there's grievous sin in the church, it wrecks everybody. Can I tell you this? 
I've been around a lot of churches, and when there's grievous sin within the church, guess who it hurts? Everybody. Everybody. And so Paul is taking this very serious. He's pointing back to the Passover lamb. He's saying, listen, the blood of the lamb was spread over the doorpost that God would pass over his people in the same way that the blood of the lamb, Jesus Christ, was smeared on the cross so that God would pass over the sins of his people. Don't you know that just a little bit of leaven makes this? Right? Some of you can have this today. That's fine. I'm okay with that. I was tempted to take it all away. So you just said unleavened, right? Right? The flatbread. And I would prefer you take flatbread bread today. I think it'll make more sense. Um, but I thought we might run out of crackers, so we have some other. We are those who must be repentant. Dear church, it's come to my attention. Your pride has left you blind to grievous sin, for your posture must be one of repentance. Chapter 6. If any of you has a dispute with one another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or don't you know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we were that we will judge angels. I'll talk more about this on Wednesday night. Super complicated, kind of crazy stuff that we'll talk about on Wednesday night um, at the Bible study. How much more than the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for uh, a, will, a, a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this is in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you've been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brother and sister. Or don't you know that wrongdoers won't, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. With this in mind, Paul says, you must learn to deal with these things within the church family. You must deal with these things within the church family. Another report that he has heard is that there's lawsuits going around inside of the church. And that these lawsuits have bubbled up out of the church. And so church members are taking other church members to court with, with non-church judges. And Paul is essentially saying, listen, figure it out. Right? Figure it out. Or why don't you just drop the gun? Right? Like just, just, isn't it better that one of you just loses? Isn't it better that you lose some money than you lose influence in the culture around you? Isn't it better that you settle these disputes internally instead of just making a mockery of the fellowship here on the outside to outsiders? He's painting this picture of a family. 
And you know families, right? Like families are awful. They're amazing, but they're awful. Can we just be honest about this, right? Right? And, and, and this is the picture that Paul continues to, to talk about. This circle of trust, this, this family, right? I can't, can't help but think of that crazy movie, Meet the Parents. Have you seen this in a while? It's awful and hilarious. And anyway, pastor shouldn't watch it probably, but whatever. Um, and, and the dad in that movie says, Greg, Greg, you need to be part of the circle of trust. And Greg makes some bad decisions and does some stupid things and ends outside of the circle of trust. And what Paul is saying here is you need to be inside the circle of trust. You guys need to be functioning within each other in a loving and caring way. And you need to deal with each other here. Right? Um, man, can I just say this simply? If you have problems with other people in this church, you all got to figure it out. I'll help you, but like you got to figure it out. We shouldn't be a place where there's disputes among us. We can we can think about things differently. We can argue about certain things, but we should love, love, love each other, and we should handle things within the family like a kind of crazy family does. Right? Right? Well, that's what we are. You got some crazy uncles showing up every Sunday morning. Like one of them preaches sometimes. Right? Okay. You got, you got kids in that family. You got grandpas and grandmas in that family. You all get together and there's a history there and there's things that you're hoping for in that family. There's things that you've done together. There's, there's these moments and memories that you have. And Paul is saying, don't, no, don't, don't take that all outside. Take that here. Deal with that here, especially the problems you have, the sin issues, lawsuits, issues that are tangible within you. You need to settle them in here. Do you know why? Because they're watching us. They're watching us. Do you think anybody wants to be a, would want to be a part of a church where they're suing the crap out of each other? And then there's this dude doing stuff that they're like, I don't think the Jesus people should be doing that, right? Like, like, can you imagine what the outsiders thinking about this church? They're watching us. They're watching us like they never have before. And they're judging us like they never have before. And they're saying, do I want to be a part of that? Probably not. And church, we need to do better. we got to do better. We've got to love each other. And some of that's going to be super duper duper hard. But we've got to deal with it within the family. He goes on. I have the right to do anything you say. Come on in, kids. I have the right to do anything you say. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything. But I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and stomach for the food. And God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not for, meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Paul goes on to say this, don't follow the sayings of the world. Don't follow the sayings of the world. In Corinth, there was a big banner that you would see all over town. There are still inscriptions as they do archaeological digs in that area that confirm this saying. And the saying is this, I have the right to do anything. That was the statement of Corinth. I have the right to do anything. Once again, tongue firmly planted in cheek. It's good that we don't have to deal with this kind of stuff anymore, right? 
It's good that this was just an issue for them and not for us. The mantra of the world in Corinth was, I have the right to do anything. You can't tell me what to do. Right? That was the mantra of Corinth. And guess what? We live in that world today. The world says, don't tell me what to do. And we fall into this in the church. Don't tell me what to do. Some of you are going to wrestle with this sermon because it's so ingrained in you. Some of you are going to be like, I can't believe he believes that stuff. I do. I believe it. These Paul's words, and they are just as important then as they are now. I believe it. Is that hard to deal with? Absolutely. Is this, are these hard conversations? Absolutely. Are we dealing with issues? No, we're dealing with people. Very important. We don't deal with issues. We deal with people. But there are issues involved here, right? And the Corinthians are saying, I have the right to do anything. And Paul would say, don't follow the sayings of the world. Like, okay, I'm going I'm to offend somebody. That's okay. Send me an email. It's awesome. Okay. I'll delete it. Anyway, Paul's saying, maybe your world says live and let live. Maybe your world says, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. Maybe your world says life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Maybe your world says make America great again. There's some good things in some of those sayings. They're not all bad. But they're not of God. Do you you understand what I'm saying? There is a difference between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. He started out his letter by saying, "The, the foolishness the foolishness of God. Right? The foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of the world. The foolishness of God is wiser than all the wisdom of the world. So don't follow the sayings of the world. Follow Jesus. Because, lastly, because you were meant to walk with Him. You were meant to walk with God. Verse 14, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he is uni- he who unites himself with the prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with Him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All of their sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. He gives us two closing pictures as we transition to communion. I'll invite the worship team to come up. 
And the two pictures are this. He says, you should not be united. I'll go into this Wednesday night in, in my Facebook discussion. But you shouldn't be united with the pagan temple priestesses who offered their bodies to, as sacrifices. Use your imagination. Okay? Right? Or don't. Okay. <laughs> um, and they're being tempted in that way as well. He's saying, listen, don't you know that that when two become one, they're united. Do, do you know what he's referring to here? Genesis. Marriage. Oh, this is awesome. He says, listen, listen. Brian and Lori, they're not two, they're one. They're, they're not, when we walked down the aisle almost 14 years ago, oh, God bless you. Um, <laughs> We, we walked in two and we walked out one. And Paul says, look at that, that's a picture of it. Because listen, 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 listen. You're united to God himself. You, you are, the second picture, you are the temple of God. The temple is where God resides. You're the temple of God. Do you understand this? God's spirit is meant to live within you because you are his temple. You are his bride. He wants to be united with you with nothing separating you. When Adam and Eve, when they sinned, do you know the first thing they did? They hid from God. They stopped walking with him. And this is what sin does and it's why it's so grievous. Listen, when you sin, and you know this, I do it too, the last thing you want to do is talk to God. The first thing you want to do is to go and hide. You want to go, don't look at me, God. I'm over here playing with my mud pies in the mud. Don't look at me, God. See, we're not called to perfection. But we're called to holiness. We're called to be being made into a holy people. A temple of the holy Spirit, this meal is not for you if you think you need to get it all together. If you're playing, no offense, but if you're playing and you're like the guy at the beginning of this, you're not welcome here. I'm saying, I'm just going to say it. But, but if you're repentant, if you say, I got problems just like everybody around me. I need a Savior just like everybody around me. I think my sin is grievous before the Lord, and I need Him to save me and clean me and make me new, then you are always welcome. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this meal that nourishes us. This meal that symbolizes our salvation. Thank you, Jesus, that it is your blood and your body sacrificed for us and give us new life. And I join the words of the psalmist David in his grievous sin when he said, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great uh, compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know 
my transgression and my sin is always before you. Against you, God, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me in the wisdom in that secret place. So God, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. For all those who are repentant, come for the table is ready.